You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. Well, I want to welcome everybody and thank you for joining us today. My name is Tim and I'm going to be your host. We are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network and as always I want to encourage you to check out the other podcasts on the RSS feed. Now, let me just give everybody a little bit of a heads up with Semper Reformanda Radio. We are probably going to do this episode and then one more episode and then we're going to... uh, probably not put anything out there for the rest of the year. I know that that sounds, you know, that's like, what, a week or two? Uh, We're already at the end of the year, so it's not that bad. Um, And then what what we're doing is we are going to be praying about how to revamp the podcast. The reason why is, is it not because of any sin issue or controversy. All of the members of, of Semper Reformanda Radio get along great. Uh, we have a, we're, Carlos and I are very grateful to Owen, and uh, I'm very grateful to Owen and Carlos. Our issue right now is not having enough time to do this on a weekly basis. Uh, Carlos has taken on a lot more responsibility at work, and, uh, and Owen is is dealing with a, a lot right now uh, pertaining to the ministry that he's in uh, being a missionary so we also have young families and things are just very demanding at home we we've all talked about it we're all sort of having the same struggle I think uh, it would be appropriate for us to to real to, to look at this again and consider whether or not we're going to be doing this on a weekly basis. We're not really sure where that puts us with the network. So we are talking to Tim and Len, and we are very, very grateful for these guys giving us the opportunity to podcast on on their site. We would definitely love to still blog for them. I still need to write a... I'm in the middle of writing a response to Dr. Malpass, who... Uh, basically hit me with a two by four in uh, in a response to an article that I wrote, and I have 
a couple of other articles that I'm still working on. I just I don't have time to really focus on them. So we're just we're we're in a season right now where we are looking at where this is going, where it's going to end up. We would still like to podcast and we just don't know what that's going to look like next year. So please be in prayer for us. Uh, if you've benefited from us, if you've, I mean, e- even if, if you like us even a bit, <laughs> just, we're not asking for your money. We're just asking for your, your, your prayers. Uh, but that being said, I want to dive into today's episode. And um, I talked to Carlos and we thought it would be good to address the the topic of suffering. Now, you may have noticed that over the Thanksgiving holiday, we didn't put out an episode. And the reason why was because Carlos and his wife, Shay, had to drive from El Paso, Texas to Houston. And that's almost all the way across Texas. It's a long drive. And the reason that they had to do that was because of a tragedy that hit their family. Shay's brother and his wife had a five-month-old baby who passed away in the crib during the night. And the family, they they think that this was a, a case of SIDS. SIDS uh, is an acronym that stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Nobody knows why SIDS occurs. Nobody knows what what causes it but the baby seemed healthy and he passed away in the in the middle of the night the family was completely devastated by this they are believers they're christians carlos and shay had to travel out there um they had to drive out there to be with the family and so a number of years ago, I had preached at a very small church. I mean, this church, I think that the the time that I preached, I believe that I preached this sermon in front of like 10 people. <laughs> it was a very, very small church. And I preached on the topic of suffering. The message is titled Suffering in Light of the Cross. So Carlos had asked if uh, if I could just go ahead and play that, and I know that there are people out there in my own network of friends and family who could benefit from something like this. It's something that I I need to revisit. I need to go back to the cross and find comfort in the midst of my suffering, and that's pretty much the goal of, of this message, to point people who are suffering back to the cross and remind them of the hope that they have in Christ. This was, I think, the first sermon that I ever preached, and um, I, haven't, I actually haven't preached in a, in a while, so I hope that it's beneficial to you. Uh, the, the first part of this is, is a, a sermon jam, so I hope you enjoy that. Uh, I hope that you can get something out of it. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at semper.reformanda.radio.com. No, I always say that. I always say it .com, and I don't know why. It's semper.reformanda.radio at gmail.com. So if you're going through anything, if you need prayer for anything, we do get emails. Um, feel free to shoot us an email. 
And uh, with that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and play the, the first part of this is a sermon jam, and the full sermon is after that. So God bless, and I hope you have a blessed week, and we'll check you next time. Bye. Jesus has prayed three times, let this cup pass from my lips. If there was ever a moment, ever a moment when God would have forsaken you, it would have been here. Upon this request to remove that cup from Jesus' lips and to say, Here, Peter. Here, John. This is yours. You drink it. And he would have forsaken you forever. One drop was enough to confine us to the deepest hell forever. We have no rights to ever question God's love for us. And there is absolutely nothing outside of His control that He is not sovereignly and mindfully in control of. My hope is that you, that you would, that you would go to this moment in the garden. I, I cannot rightly describe what is taking place here. I cannot rightly, I, I cannot take you to that moment of utter despair because I cannot comprehend it. I cannot comprehend what it must be like to look into that cup of despair because He has removed that from me. This is primarily what God has intended to save us from so that we now with confidence can look at any situation and face it boldly. We are not ultimately saved from our circumstances. We are saved from from the indignation of God against sinful man. We have to ask the question, why does God allow us to suffer? Why does God allow us to face trials and tribulations? We know that He has saved us from the ultimate suffering. We know that He has saved us from the suffering that would destroy us. Here's what Romans 5, verse 3 says. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. That's an odd thing to say. We rejoice in our suffering. The unbeliever has no hope of ever accomplishing this. But we who have been brought near to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ can say, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. You have a real hope. You have a real hope that's not going to put you to shame. In that moment when Jesus prays for deliverance, God remains silent. So that when you pray now, He doesn't have to remain silent. At the cross, we see that God turns His back on Christ. So that when when you go before Him, He does not have to turn His back on you. Instead, He can look at you as a child of His and pour out His grace and His love and His mercy on you. The question that I have 
is are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for His namesake? And are you willing to trust Him in the moment of your deepest, most agonizing trial, moment of suffering? I don't know what you're facing. I, I don't know what sickness ails you. I don't know what hardship has come upon you. I don't know. Are you willing to trust Him? today. Um, my, I think my biggest concern coming today was whether or not I had to speak Spanish, considering it's uh, now El Camino Church, so as long as I don't have to do that, I think we'll be okay. Um, my name is Tim. I'm just filling in for your pastor today. I've, I've been here a couple of times, and I love this church. It's, it's always a joy to see friends. Uh, and God has, has pressed upon my heart that I should speak about the issue of suffering. And today's, the, the purpose and intent of today's message is to confront what we as believers should consider about suffering. How should we look at suffering? What should we think about in the moments of suffering? We have a very different perspective concerning suffering than the unbeliever. Let me say from the outset of this message that I am profoundly and acutely aware of my diminished ability to confront this issue because this hits home for so many people. This, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. So I am, I'm trusting and the Lord, I'm trusting that because His Word is going to be read, that you will somehow be, uh, that, that He is going to meet us in this moment. Um, this, this, is, this is personal. This is sometimes painful, the, the issue of suffering. And we as Christians need to not trivialize the issue. We need to find real answers. The biggest problem sometimes is how do we reconcile what we believe about God with what we experience in the world? We believe that God is a loving God, and at the same time that he's an all-powerful God, and that he's mindful of us. So what happens when we face circumstances and our circumstances don't change? That's what I want to look at today. We find that many people oftentimes come to church during uh, moments of trial and tribulation, during their struggle, and, and, and they pray for deliverance. They say, Lord, whatever it is that I'm facing, remove this from me. And yet it remains. And so some, for some reason they become disillusioned with it, with the whole experience, with the whole religious experience. And, and what happens is that many times they end up falling away. 
we, we see that, that many times false pastors and false preachers come in and they prey on the weak in these moments. And, and this, is, this is so prevalent in our day that it has to be addressed. I, I recently was watching a, a documentary uh, where they did an investigation on, on one of these, one of these uh, televangelists who I don't promote at all. But they, this, this one, one in particular, and I'm not going to name him, this one in particular has a healing ministry, and, and you may know who I'm talking about. And he sets up these crusades, and he calls people to, to come to his crusade, and, and they follow this little girl and her mom. The, the little girl has a, uh, an ailment that, that has confined her to a wheelchair. And she, she goes, her, her and her mom go to this crusade. The, the gentleman is, is up on stage naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it in the name of Jesus. And the most difficult thing to see is that they approach the stage and they're, they're stopped and they're confronted by the, the, the people running the, the, the conference. And, and they ask her, can you get up from, can you stand up from your wheelchair? This little girl is unable to stand up. And so she is turned away. Because the way, the way that this conference works is, if you go in with a shoulder pain, they'll ask you, can you raise your shoulder? Can you raise your arm? And if you can do that, guess what? You get to go up on stage. So that this pastor can, can claim a miracle for his ministry. Folks, these are, these are wolves. Truth be told, I, I oftentimes lay awake at night trying to figure out how I can get rid of wolves in the church. Christians, we, we have to have a right biblical understanding of the issue of suffering so that when moments of temptation come, strong moments of temptation come, when wolves try to creep in and prey on the weak, we can rightly discern that and ward them off. There are many of us here today who, who may be struggling, and, and I don't know your personal struggle. So how should we think about suffering? How should we wrestle with this issue? If you find yourself at the, at the threshold of despair, if you find yourself at the door of suffering, then, then this message is for you. If you are feeling like, you know what? I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's going good. Got a pay raise. Kids are go getting A's in school. Everything's great. This message is also for you. Because that moment may come when you yourself are faced with a particular trial. I think our, our, one of our greatest struggles is to feel like God sometimes has forsaken us. God sometimes has, has left us. To, to rightly understand the issue of suffering, we are going to appropriately go to God's Word. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, and we'll be starting in verse 36. Thank <laughs> you. 
That is Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. Now it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little, far, a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Enter into temptation. Then the spirit, in, the spirit is in the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, "My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done." And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for the, for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let me, let me go ahead and pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I, just, I thank you that this is a place that your word can be read aloud. And Father, I, I just ask that I would be diminished and that you would be exalted. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I, I, I pray for anybody here who has a struggle, who has a trial, who, has, who is facing a tribulation. I pray that they would be able to, to trust in you during this moment. And, Father, I pray that, that more than my words, that the Holy Spirit would come and minister to them personally. Father, in all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson writes concerning this passage, The Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most solemn and sacred scenes in the entire Bible. When I approach this passage, I... I don't even know. I, I don't even know what to say about it. I don't even know how to adequately or accurately describe this scene in Scripture, because what we find is that when Jesus enters the garden, and, and in Luke's gospel it says that he went there often. The Garden of Gethsemane was a a uh, olive garden outside, just outside or on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so this is sort of a retreat for Jesus. This is, this is his little hideaway place where he goes to pray. And, and when he enters the garden, we are confronted with a Jesus that we are unfamiliar with. A Jesus that, that is, is not 
There, there's something, even now I'm having a hard time describing it, there's something that has, that has, that is impacting Jesus in a way that we've not seen before, in a way that we've not had to wrestle with before, or that we've seen before. You see, Jesus, this is the same Jesus who is in a boat, and, and there's a violent storm, and everybody's freaking out, and with two words, he says, or with three words, he says, quiet, be still. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And the Bible says that everyone was afraid and asked, who is this man that he even rebukes the waves? This is the same Jesus who, who confronts the demoniac, a, a demon-possessed person. And the demons cry out to him and say, what will you do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? In, in God's name, do not torture me. These demons recognized who he was. These demons trembled at his very presence. This is the same Jesus who stood up to the religious leaders of the day. This is the same Jesus who fashioned a whip to drive out the money changers. This is a... That's, that's kind of a John Wayne thing to do. This is, this is the Jesus that we are familiar with, who, who exercises authority and power over all of creation, over the spiritual realm. He, he goes and he, he tells people, your sins are forgiven, and the religious leaders of the day have a serious problem with it because they know that nobody can forgive your sins except for God himself. Big surprise, he is God in the flesh. And now he enters the garden... And something has this Jesus on his face in fear and in terror, and he is unbelievably sorrowful. It says that he is so sorrowful even to the point of death. And what should strike us as interesting is... I think that sometimes we, we go through suffering in this way. It's, he asks his disciples for support. He, and if, if you read the text, he says, In taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be uh, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here with me. It's like, hey guys, I'm really troubled. Yeah, you know, the guy that can control the weather, the guy that can cast out, you know, devils, I'm really troubled. And he asks for their support. He says, stay here with me for, for, for just a little while, pray with me. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They not only do it once, they do it twice. They, they, I mean, it's like, hey guys, you know, I'm really struggling with this, and you can't seem to find support from your friends. You can't seem to find support from your spouse. You can't seem to find support at work. Nobody knows what you're going through. That is exactly what is happening here. And Jesus has asked his disciples, just stay here, just pray with me. And for whatever reason, they're, they're completely unable to do it. it it's, it's obvious that, that he is facing this alone at this moment. In, in Luke's Gospel, it says that an angel came and ministered to him. But upon
upon entering the garden, he is he, he does not have the support that he's asking for. He did, and, and, and truthfully, Jesus wants them to pray for their own sake. Because he tells, he tells Peter, <clears throat> when he finds him asleep, he, it says that he, and, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So even at this moment, Jesus' primary concern, he, he's telling them, I'm, something is, is, is troubling me. And you think that that would have been a, a point when, when the disciples would be like, all right, if it's bothering this guy, if it's bothering Jesus, we should probably look into it. We should probably, you know, care a little bit. And, and Jesus tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Well, we find out immediately what is troubling Jesus in his first prayer. It's the cup. And Jesus says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What is this cup? This, this, this cup, this is what has brought Jesus to his face on the ground. Now, I've, I've experienced suffering. I'm, I'm only 28 years old, but believe it or not, I've experienced suffering. But I have never been to the point where I have, in Luke's Gospel, it says that he, that he sweated blood. I have never been to that point. I have never been so downtrodden that I, am, that I feel like I'm going to die. Nobody here today has ever experienced what is happening in this text. If you, if, if you profess to believe in Jesus Christ, you will not see this cup. This cup that Jesus is peering into is the full and entire wrath of God. You, you, can, you can imagine that it is the accumulation of a thousand suns, all of that pent up into a little cup. God's eternal sovereign wrath Intended for the sinner. This, this cup has my name on it. This cup has your name on it. And Jesus is now staring into the cup. This is the first time that we see that he has come face to face with the reality of God's wrath. This, this is what he has come for. This is the deepest agony of Calvary. A number of years ago, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. Let me tell you that that movie was a complete failure to capture what Calvary was about. Mel Gibson tried to, the, the producer of the movie, tried to illustrate for us the brutality of crucifixion. And he did a great job. It was bloody and it was gruesome. But it does not capture the true agony of Calvary. When Jesus is looking into, into the cup of God's wrath. And the, the way that we, should, that we should view this is that God intends to slay the sinner. 
that that's truthfully what it's about. You've sinned. In your sin, you are God's enemy. And God is, you can imagine that God is fully dressed in armor with sword in hand ready to slay you. And the only thing that stands in his way is Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is that God puts him there because he loves you. See, the glory of the gospel is this, that the one from which we need to be saved is the one who has saved us. Jesus prays three times. He prays three times to have this cup removed. And he knows exactly what is about to happen. He knows exactly what, what is coming his way. We see in the, in, the, in the continuing text that the traitor, Judas, is bringing a mob towards him. The, the last part of the text, it says that the hour is now at hand. The moment has arrived. And his disciples are completely and totally unaware. This is what God has primarily intended to save us from. It's not ultimately our circumstances. It's not ultimately whatever ails you. God has intended to save you from himself. Because as a good God, he has to, he has to punish the sinner. And so he chose to put that on Jesus instead. You see, my temptation during moments of, of, of tribulation, during moments of, of suffering, is not, my, my fear is not the, the suffering itself. My fear is, is, is mainly the temptation that is associated with suffering. The greatest temptation to deny God, to doubt God, comes at the moment of suffering. And that is my, that is my greatest fear. It's not, it's not whether or not I'm going to suffer. It's not the suffering itself. I know. I know that I'm going to suffer. I know that, that I may possibly suffer greatly. My greatest fear is that the temptation that comes along with that would be overcome in Christ. We, we see this in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first one in the New Testament to identify Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to him or actually, before he comes to him, John the Baptist says, there is one who is coming who is greater than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. John knows that the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus comes to, to John, and John identifies him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John rightly sees Jesus for who he is. He, he identifies him. He recognizes him. Yes, this is the Messiah. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then John baptizes Jesus. And when, when it, it's, it's amazing. It, it's like this is an aha moment. John should get this, you know? John baptizes Jesus and a, a voice from heaven. I've never heard a voice from heaven. It probably sounds pretty deep, pretty thunderous. You know, maybe the ground would shake. He says, Behold, this is my, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And a dove comes from heaven and, and rests above Jesus. And here's John the Baptist, like, what more confirmation do you need to, to recognize that this is Jesus? That this is the Son of God? 
Then what we find is that John the Baptist is arrested and he's put into prison. And what happens then? He has to send his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? Do you see what is happening? John in his moment of, of tribulation and the hour of his suffering is tempted to doubt God. I, I, can't even, it's, I can't even be baffled by this because this is exactly what I do. This is exactly what we, what we tend to do. John receives a message from Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, go and tell John what you've seen. And folks, let me tell you that that is all that John needs for the assurance to face his death. We find out later that God does not remove John from his cell. And scripture says plainly that Jesus came to set the captives free. Yet John is held captive. And God does not remove him from his circumstances. He does not remove him from his cell. He gives him the assurance of eternal life in the midst of his suffering. And at that moment of John's death, God poured out his grace on John. God was right there in the midst of his suffering, present with him, a very real help in time of trouble. That, that is the mindset that we are after. That is the mindset, that, that is what Jesus is telling Peter. He's telling, he, he, Jesus knows the, the trial that is about to come. He has already told Peter, hey, you're going to, yeah, you want to pull out your sword and, and fight and let's go to battle? You're going to deny me three times when, when it gets really bad and really ugly. And what we see is that Peter is so fearful that he lies to a little girl about who Jesus is. And this is exactly what Jesus is after. Peter, you don't know what's coming. And he's telling him, pray that you may not be tempted in that moment. This is exactly what, what we face when, when, when that trial and that tribulation comes. It's like, yes, Lord, I know when I didn't have a job, you, you got me through it. But I don't, I don't know if you're there anymore because this is, this is happening in my life. This, this trial, this tribulation is happening in my life. And we're, we're tempted to, to doubt God's goodness. We're tempted to doubt God's love. Let me say this, that we have absolutely no reason to ever doubt God's love for us. Because Jesus has prayed three times, let this cup pass from my lips. Do you realize that if there was ever a moment when God would have forsaken you, it would have been at this moment right here. He would have answered Jesus' prayer. Going down to verse 53, Jesus says, do you, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will send at once more than 12 legions of angels? You, you can imagine that... that Every angel in heaven is at the threshold of heaven, just waiting for one word, 
one word, one look from Jesus to come down and just crush us, to destroy us, to completely, one angel could have taken out the entire Roman army. They, the, the, the mob would have never even entered the garden. If there was ever a moment, ever a moment when God would have forsaken you, it would have been here, upon this request, to remove that cup from Jesus' lips and to say, here, Peter, here, John, this is yours. You drink it. And he would have forsaken you forever. One drop was enough to confine us to the deepest hell forever. We have no right to ever question God's love for us. And there is absolutely nothing outside of his control that he is not sovereignly and mindfully in control of. My hope is that you, that you, would, that you would go to this moment in the garden. I, I cannot rightly describe what is taking place here. I cannot rightly, I, I cannot take you to that moment of utter despair because I cannot comprehend it. I cannot comprehend what it must be like to look into that cup of despair, because he has removed that from me. This is primarily what God has intended to save us from, so that we now with confidence can look at any situation and face it boldly. We are not ultimately saved from our circumstances. We are saved from, from the indignation of God against sinful man. Jesus had 12, 12 legions at his disposal. At, at the cross, he is mocked repeatedly. Take yourself down from there. When he stands before, before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate asks him, are you a king? And, and Jesus tells him, yeah, I'm a king, but my, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it was, my, my servants would fight for me. We have to ask the question, why does God allow us to suffer? Why does God allow us to face trials and tribulations? We know that he has saved us from the ultimate suffering. We know that he has saved us from the suffering that would destroy us. Here's what Romans 5, verse 3 says. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. That's an odd thing to say. We rejoice in our suffering. The unbeliever has no hope of ever accomplishing this. But we who have been brought near to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ can say we rejoice in our suffering knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, you have a real hope in, in, in suffering. You have a real hope that's not going to put you to shame. In Romans 8, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is reminding us, guys, I didn't spare my son. In that moment when Jesus prays for deliverance, God remains silent. 
so that when you pray now, he doesn't have to remain silent. At the cross, we see that God turns his back on Christ so that when, when you go before him, he does not have to turn his back on you. Instead, he can look at you as a child of his and pour out his grace and his love and his mercy on you. The question that I have is, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for his namesake? And are you willing to trust him in the moment of your deepest, most agonizing moment of suffering? I don't know what you're facing. I, I don't know what sickness ails you. I don't know what hardship has come upon you. I don't know. Are you willing to trust him? I want to go to one, one last verse. This is Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 25. Reads, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Let my car break down. Let my health fail. The next verse reads, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is where we as Christians need to be. God, God may not heal me from my sickness. God may not heal me from my, from my, or remove me from my circumstances, but He is right there with me in the midst of them. And I have full assurance. This is, this is my desire for you. We're going to sing a couple of more songs. Now, I want to invite you that if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not responded, please do so. Please consider that. And the other group that I want to say is, is or address is, if you are here and you are facing a trial, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant you may be tempted to think that it is, while we're singing, come forward so we can pray. So we can ask for God's presence in the midst of our trials. If uh, the worship guys want to come up, I'll be, I'll be here. I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be with you today.